Let's pray as we prepare to open God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we've had to worship you and to praise you. Father, we pray that that praise has been pleasing, that it has come from hearts overflowing with your love. Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you have something for each of us that you've called here this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak. Father, I know I have nothing to offer your people. Use me as a vessel for your word. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to spend in it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, aren't you glad it's March? Ooh, (laughs) another snowy Sunday morning. And right now, my daughter and son-in-law and grandkids are out in California, and they've been out there for about 10 days. And they're doing what seems to be the favorite sport of people who go to a warmer climate, and that's post over and over and over on Facebook all day long about how warm it is in California and how boo-hoo, it got down to 60 degrees last night, and we had to put on a sweatshirt and all that good stuff. I don't know what it is about being able to kind of flaunt that warm weather over others instantly through uh, the, the miracle of the Internet that seems to heighten people's enjoyment of, uh, of nice weather, but it does. And, you know, I honestly don't remember if I did that same thing last fall, late last fall, when my wife and uh, family and I were blessed to spend some time in the happiest place on earth. And when I say the happiest place on earth, we all know where I'm talking about, right? Let's say it together. Disney World, right? Disney World. Everybody, Disney World is the happiest place on earth. Well, at least according to the brochure. And you know, I have to admit, I saw a lot of happiness while I was there and experienced some happiness while I was there. We, you know, hearing the the joy of the kids as they're screaming and laughing and riding on the rides and, you know, even as adults, all the things there were to see and do and eat, you know, there there was a lot of good times there. There really were. Almost so much so that for a little bit of time, I managed to forget the fact that it's also the most expensive place on earth. And (laughs) That was not in the brochure. You know, they sell you on it long before you get to the bottom line, but that's, that's a whole other story. But, but we had a great time while we were there. But you know what? I also saw a lot of unhappiness there. Children crying and screaming and throwing fits and angry parents. And you know what? I think I even experienced some of that unhappiness. One night we decided that uh, evidently to uh, get the whole experience, you have to stay until the park closes there at uh, the Magic Kingdom and watch the fireworks over the, the castle. And it was beautiful. It was decorated for Christmas with millions of lights, and there were all these cool fireworks, and we're ooing and eyeing and taking pictures with the cell phone and all that good stuff. And it was wonderful, and, and I felt at one with my surroundings. And then those fireworks ended, and all, however many thousand of us, tried to get out of that park at the same time. And the happiness started to seep away because we were this throng of people trying to move our way in en masse out of the park and, and through the gates and, and out into the transportation. And, and we're moving along at a snail's pace. 
And right behind me is a lady who keeps banging into my Achilles tendon with a stroller. And I, I promise you, she got me no less than a dozen times. And, and I started moving over to get out of her way. But evidently, I caught a pretty wide path through a crowd. So she stayed right behind me. And bang, bang, bang. So now I get, I get out, and you know, now we get to the monorail, and we stand in line forever for the monorail. And we finally get on the monorail, and all the seats are taken. So we're standing up and swaying back and forth. And we finally get to the station, and guess what? We can't get back to our hotel room now because they've closed Epcot, and the way we normally cut through from that monorail is now closed to us. Back on the monorail, back to where we started at the Magic Kingdom and start all over again. And finally we get home, uh, back to the hotel. And by the time I drag myself up the stairs and throw myself down in that bed, I'm thinking, happiest place on earth, my foot. <laughs> but all in all, it was fun. It was, it was happy. But the reality is that the happiness of the world, the happiness that the world promises is elusive and it's fleeting but we're inclined to chase after it. Think about the words of our founding fathers. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you catch that? Endowed by the creator with these unalienable rights of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, the opportunity to chase after it not the guarantee of happiness. And you don't have to live too long in this earth before you realize that the pursuit of happiness is exhausting and ultimately it's unfulfilling. And that's because we weren't created to exist on the happiness of this world. We were created to exist on something immensely more powerful and satisfying than that, and that's the joy of the Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning is the joy of the Lord versus the happiness of the world. And we're going to be moving through various scriptures this morning, but if you want to start with me, you can open your Bibles uh, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 26 of chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is what it says. "For For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That's our first point for this morning. Joy comes from God, not the world. Note what Solomon said there. He said, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting, striving after the wind. Because God's joy is a gift. But the happiness of the world is toil. It's work. It's something that we have to strive for. Merriam-Webster says to strive means to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. So we have to make great efforts to obtain the happiness of this world. And I got to thinking about those efforts. What are those efforts? And in my world, when I'm starting to to consider how I would do something, the first thing I usually do is go out to the internet and I'll Google it and see what I can glean from those sources. So I Googled it. 
how to find happiness. I thought, let's see what Google has to say about how to find happiness. And in 38 one-hundredths of a second, less than half a second, Google, re, uh, Google came up with 154 million, million hits. Literally millions of ideas on how to be happy. And there were a lot of them. Five steps to happiness, six steps to happiness. The, the overall winner was a WikiHow entitled 28 Steps to Happiness. And I'm thinking, oh, is that all? You know, if that was the definitive guide for happiness, I'd just be unhappy for the rest of my life because I'm not dealing with anything that has 28 steps in it. But the bottom line is, there were these sad, sometimes laughable, sometimes just strange things coming up that said, here's how you find happiness. But you know what? They don't work because happiness, just like anything that the world has to offer, is marred by the corruption of sin. It can be false, and it can be lost much easier than it's gained. But God is the giver of joy, a joy that is pure and true and lasting. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 12:43, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had, given them, uh, had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. God had made them rejoice with great joy because joy comes from God, not from the world. See, joy is a quality. It's not an emotion. Happiness is an emotion, and our emotions are continually changing. But joy, true joy, is found in the lives of believers who are filled with the Spirit because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, God's Spirit is the source of God's joy. So the more I'm filled with the Spirit, the more of God's joy I'm going to have in my life. And if we want to truly experience God's joy, then we have to remember that it comes from Him and never from the things of this world. But we also need to understand that joy is not affected by our circumstances. See, happiness depends on circumstances. The word itself is derived from the, the Middle English root of that word is hap, which meant chance or good luck. Literally, happiness was something that came by pure chance or just by good fortune that you had happiness. The bottom line is that happiness depends on circumstances. If things are going well, we're generally happy. And if things are going poorly, we're generally unhappy. There's a, a cause and effect relationship there. And here's an example from God's word. Look at the book of, of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, we read this. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Wow. So there's a plant shading Jonah's head, and he's exceedingly glad. And the next day, <clears throat> that plant withers and dies, 
and the sun beats down on him, and Jonah is distraught to the point that he wants to die. You see, his circumstances are controlling his happiness. His emotions are all over the place. He's up and he's down. In today's world, they would have slapped a a bipolar uh, diagnosis on Jonah faster than you could say, one ticket to Tarshish, please. But we know the rest of the story. Jonah had no joy because he was outside of the world of God and he was chasing after the fleeting happiness of the world. He was chasing after something as elusive as shade in the desert. If you start tying your happiness to shade in the desert, it's not going to work. It didn't work 2,800 years ago in Nineveh and it's not going to work today in Oswego, Illinois. Because circumstances change. And if your happiness is tied to them, you're going to be continually disappointed. You're going to be on that same emotional roller coaster that Jonah found himself on, up one day and ready to die the next. And I think we understand that, we know that, but rather than looking to the Lord for true joy and something that's going to last in our life, we still find ourselves caught up in this chasing after the happiness of the world, trying to manufacture circumstances in our lives that are going to bring some happiness or some sense of happiness. And, and as hard as that is, as hard as we're striving, the happiness never lasts. It's fleeting. It passes. It goes away. And unfortunately, when some fail to find the happiness, then they start to try and get away from the unhappiness and things get even more desperate. And we see drugs and alcohol and illicit relationships and all the things Uh, that people try to do to self-medicate, to get away from that unhappiness that they feel or to fill that hole in their lives where they're looking for happiness. But just like Jonah, they're going to find that whatever little bit of happiness they do find is going to die. It's going to wither quickly. But the good news is that God offers us a joy that is completely and totally unrelated to our circumstances. A joy that is lasting and fulfilling no matter what is going on in our lives. No matter what. Look at this passage from the book of Acts. This describes the ordeal of Paul and Silas after Paul had cast a demon out of a slave girl. Here's what it says in Acts 16, 23 through 26. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Paul and Silas were persecuted, beaten, locked up in jail in stocks, but they didn't lose their joy. They were singing hymns to God. They were rejoicing in the middle of the night, after the beatings, despite their pain and their suffering. Now, surely they weren't happy. Their circumstances would not allow them to be happy. But their circumstances couldn't touch the joy of the Lord, much less take it away from them. And we see this theme repeated throughout Scripture. Consider Peter and the apostles when they were persecuted for teaching about Jesus in the temple in Acts 5. It says, and then, I'm sorry, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Again, these men had been beaten, threatened, told to stop doing what God had called them to do. Surely they had plenty of reasons to be unhappy. But they rejoiced because the Spirit was thriving in them. They were filled with the Spirit. And nothing was going to take that away from them. So joy comes from God. It's not affected by our circumstances. So we may be asking ourselves, then why am I not experiencing God's joy the way I should be? Well, we've noted that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, so we can't manufacture it, we can't fake it, we can't force it. But there are things we can do to increase it in our lives. And that's our third point this morning. We can increase our joy by focusing on God. That sounds very simple, but we're going to see it's a little more complex. What we need to do is take the focus off of ourselves and get it back on the Lord where it belongs, to stop worrying about our lives and and chasing after the things of this world and concentrating on the things of God. Former baseball player turned evangelist Billy Sunday said this, the trouble with many men is that they have got just enough of religion to make them miserable. If there is not joy in religion, you've got a leak in your religion. I love that quote. How many times do you see Christians who have just enough religion to make them miserable? Seriously, they know just enough to be dangerous. When we don't have that joy in our lives, it's because we've got that leak in our religion. There is a leak in our joy. So how do we fix that leak? What can we do to recapture the joy that God has intended for us? Well, one of the first things we need to do is to confront unconfessed sin in our lives. Folks, sin blocks that relationship with God. It, it keeps the Holy Spirit bound. It can't work in our lives when we have that sin. It's going to kill our joy faster than anything else. We have to have a right relationship with God if we expect to experience his joy. Psalm 51, 7 through 12 says this, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, that Psalm of David was written after he had had his affair with Bathsheba and after he had sent Uriah the Hittite to his death. You see, David knew something about unconfessed sin. And it had robbed him of his joy. So he pleads with God to cleanse him of that sin and restore his joy. And if we want joy in our lives, God's joy in our life, we too have to confess our sins to him and plead with him to cleanse us and restore our joy. 
Another thing that we need to do is to recognize that God is joyful. I'm going to ask you to all flip over in your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. If you've got your Bible with you, open it up and flip it to the book of Zephaniah. And if you're not regularly in the book of Zephaniah, it's kind of wedged between Habakkuk and Haggai there towards the very end of the Old Testament. So if you get to uh, Malachi, you've gone too far. Back up, get to Zephaniah. And find in, in your Bible Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Wow! Did you get that? God rejoices over you. God exalts over you with loud singing. Is that a part of your perception of God? Do you recognize him as a joyful God who sings joyfully when he thinks about you? You know, unless you're one of these people who doesn't like to mark up their Bible, underline that passage, underline Zephaniah 3.17 and mark that page and go back there regularly and be reminded that God is a joyful God who finds joy in you. You know, I often try to explain to the kids in Sunday school and in Awana that we are created in the image of God. If God is a joyful God, then he expects joy to be a characteristic of our lives. And, God, and, we, and we tell these kids, God, people should be able to see a picture of God in your life. When they look at you, they should be able to see a little bit of Jesus there. It's not a good picture. It's not the selfie that you want to post out on Facebook. It's blurry and, and, you know, kind of hard to see, but somewhere in there is that image of Christ. And you know what? If you don't, people aren't seeing the joy of God in your life, then that picture is a little bit fuzzier. It's a little dimmer. Maybe it's disappeared altogether. We need to remember that God is a joyful God. We also need to keep our spiritual tanks full. You know, in this time of year, I constantly remind my kids, fill your tank, fill your tank, fill your tank. Get that car filled up. Don't let the, the tank get low. And my, uh, my good friend and, and uh, personal mechanic, Kevin Krause, always yells at me because I let my tank get low when I'm driving uh, my van. And he tells me that's going to cause the... Uh, the gas pump in the, in the van to burn out. He keeps saying, just keep your tank better than half full or whatever. And, you know, if that's good advice for our vehicles, keep your tank full, well, it's certainly good advice for our spiritual tanks. If we want to enjoy God's joy in our lives. Because if joy is the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to, to have that joy. Romans 8, 5 says it this way, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, the very thoughts and ways and plans of God as revealed to us through his scriptures. And the only way we can do that is to dedicate ourselves to prayer and Bible study and worship and fellowship and service we have to be devoted to these things, chasing after these things, not the things of the world. 
We need to be worshiping God on a daily basis. We don't just worship here on Sunday mornings. We're to worship God on a daily basis. This is what it says in Psalm 71.8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Yeah, worship involves a lot more than singing. But do you sing to God other than here on Sunday mornings? And some of you don't even sing then. You just stand and stare at the screen. Guys, God says we're supposed to be singing to him every day. If you're not singing to the Lord on a daily basis, then you've got a leak in your religion and you're going to have a leak in your joy. Worship God daily. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. That means we're supposed to have this intimate relationship with God that is an ongoing conversation that takes, long, takes place all day long. From the time we rise in the morning till the time we go back to sleep at night, we should be having an ongoing dialogue with our God, constantly praising him, worshiping him, thanking him, in, you know, interceding for the people around us, not just when we're in church, not just at mealtime, but praying all day long. If the only time you find yourself praying is in church or maybe at mealtime or when you're in a real bind and you've got no place else to turn, then there's a leak in your religion and you're going to have a leak in your joy. You're not going to experience the joy God intends for you. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. See, David knew the value of God's word. It was his meditation daily. He meditated all day long on God's word. And we need to do the same. We need to be reading it and studying it and meditating on it on a daily basis. But if your Bible sits someplace all week long or goes untouched for days, weeks, months, whatever it might be, yep, you've got a leak in your religion and you are not going to have the joy that God wants for you. There's going to be a leak in your joy. God's word is such an incredible gift and sometimes we take it for granted. We need to be in it every day. Acts 2, 42 and 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to, be, uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You know, this description of the early church just emphasizes how important the fellowship of believers is, how important it is for us to spend time together studying God's word, breaking bread, praying together. If you want to have God's joy in your life, you need to spend time with people of like mind, with fellow believers. You know, the small group that Julie and I belong to met last night, and normally on a Sunday night before I would come here and, and stand up here uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning, I would not put anything on my schedule because that time is set aside for uh, just continuing to, uh, to work on the message and to pray and to seek God's face. But this was small group. This is something different. That group of people that I spend time with in that small group encourage me and they lift me up and they challenge me and sharpen me. And I didn't want to miss that. I needed to be there, and I thought, you know what, I will stay up later, and I will start earlier Saturday morning as, as I continue to prepare so that I can be a part of that. It's that important. 
because my joy increases as I spend time with others who are filled with the Spirit and they have joy in their lives. And if the only time you're spending with brothers and sisters in Christ is when you're here on Sunday mornings, then you've got a leak in your religion and you've got a leak in your joy. The good news is we've got lots of small groups here, folks. They meet every night of the week in every community on the map around Oswego. Get involved in a small group. Spend some time with brothers and sisters who are going to build into your joy, who are going to lift you up. Become a part of their lives and let them become a part of yours. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Folks, serving God is an integral part of his plan for each and every one of our lives. It is not an option. It isn't part of a menu. We don't choose to serve. God says, you need to serve. I've given you spiritual gifts and talents and abilities that were put in you specifically for use in the body of Christ for the furthering of his kingdom, not for you, not for your enjoyment, not so that you can chase the things of the world. And if you're not using them and you're not serving, not only are you robbing the body of Christ, but you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings that God has for you, and that is faithfully serving him and the joy that comes from that. So if you find that you're not serving, you've got a leak in your religion, and there's going to be a leak in your joy. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us the great commission to make disciples, to get out and share our faith with the lost who are, have been sovereignly placed all around us. And when we're blessed to be a part of God, bringing one of them to faith, then to encourage them in believers' baptism and to disciple them, to teach them the things that he has taught us. Luke 15, 10 says, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The angels in heaven rejoice over the the repentance of a single sinner. God wants us to be a part of that and to be a part of that joy. He wants to use us. He doesn't need us. It's a blessing. It's his blessing for us to say, you can be a part of this process as you share your faith. And I'll let you have some of the joy that comes along with it. If you're not sharing your faith, if you're not reaching out to disciple new believers, then you've got a leak in your religion and you're going to have a leak in your joy. Well, that's, that's quite a list for keeping our spiritual tanks full. And uh, it should have sounded kind of familiar to you because basically those things that we just talked about for filling your tank are these three R's that you see all around this church. Reach up, reach in, and reach out. Reach up and worship corporately like we're doing now. And reach in and connect with significant, or I'm sorry, walk individually. Study, read God's word, worship him on a daily basis. And then reach in and connect with significance. Have 
Let people become a part of your life and become a part of their lives and serve with purpose. Serve God with the talents he's given you and let him bless that. And then reach out and evangelize the lost and disciple the saved. These are the things that a fully committed disciple of Christ who wants to live a spirit-filled life and be filled with his joy are going to focus on. Not focusing on the things of the world, chasing after that elusive happiness that's it's just a lie. Now I can hear you thinking, that sounds good. Sounds real good, Bill, but guess what? I just don't have time for all of that. This came up in our small group last night. We feel squeezed by our schedules. We don't have time to read our Bible every day or to serve in another ministry or to uh, get over and, and share God's word with our neighbor. And, you know, that sucks the joy out of us too, those, those schedules that are so crammed so tight. And we say there's just not enough time in a day. Well, guess what? God himself ordained the amount of time in a day. At the creation of this world, he, he ordained that there would be 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week and 365 days in a year. And if we find that there's not enough time for us to be about the things of God, it's not because there's too little time. It's because we're focusing on the wrong things. We're doing some things that God would not have us do with our time. Because to insinuate that there's not enough time in a day is to insinuate that God made a mistake and God does not make mistakes. See, we might have to reprioritize our lives. We might have to let go of some things that are good but not the best, not God's best, so that we can focus on the things that will fill us with God's Spirit and cause us to have that joy that knows no circumstances that the world cannot touch. So let's recap. Joy comes from God, not the world. Joy is not affected by our circumstances. We can increase our joy by focusing on God. And to do that, we need to confront unconfessed sin, recognize that God is a joyful God, and keep our spiritual tanks full. Now, if you're here this morning and this idea of God's joy sounded good, but you don't have it in your life because you don't have his son Jesus Christ in your life, then he's calling you to make a decision today to ask his son for the free gift of salvation that he, he freely offers you. In order to have this joy, you have to have the son. You have to have the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. It can't be there any other way. If you're here this morning and, and you've never accepted Christ as your savior, God is calling you to do that today. And if you feel him working in your heart and calling you towards the joy that only he can give, in a minute I'm going to pray. And at the end, I'll say a quick prayer, and you can pray that prayer along with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this time that you've given us in your word, and we thank you for um, the blessing of the filling of the Spirit in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful, to concentrate on those things that will fill us with your Spirit, that will keep our tanks full. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to share your blessings with others and ask that you help us to do that, to serve others and to connect with others, to reach out to our unsaved neighbors and to, uh, to disciple those who have, have come to a saving faith. Lord, you bless us with those opportunities and we need to be faithful to them when, when you bring them into our lives and we ask that you You help us to do that. 
heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you feel the Lord calling you to make a decision to accept his son Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can just say this prayer along with me. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that sin was going to keep me separated from you forever. But Father, you love me enough to send your son who was perfect and blameless but died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And Father, you raised him again on the third day and gave him victory over sin and death. And I ask Jesus that you forgive me for my sin, that you come into my life, be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for all you do for me. I pray this in your name. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, God has promised to save you. You have become his child, and he can begin to fill you with the joy that only he can provide. If you did that today...